life meaningful and important? Are we having an impact? Do, does it count? Is it worth it? Is, is anybody ever have those questions? Yeah, three. three. What's it all for? And if it is for that, and I've only done that, crap. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's like I'm spending all my time doing this, and suddenly, maybe this is the most important thing. So, and maybe it's the season of life that we're in. You kind of do go through this evaluation moment. So, so this is, I actually had a message which was, uh, how do we measure ourselves? How do we measure our success? And I came up with two Ps, but I only have time to do. <laughs> I knew that was coming, so I didn't say it. <laughs> I only have time for one P this morning. <laughs> Like I said before, if it's going bad, just, just blame it on the grieving. And if it's going well, it's the Holy Spirit. All right, we'll just go with that. Um, <laughs> so the singular P of this one. Uh, no, oh, stop digging, stop digging. Uh, I thought... Uh, there are, there are Bible heroes, we, we all have them, and, and at different times in my life, I get drawn to different ones. I think Abraham's a big hero for me, Moses is a big hero for me. I think when you're in leadership, Moses is a massive biblical example of leadership. So I just want us to get into Exodus 33, and I want to talk about really his, the thing that he went after that wasn't success but proved to be success. You'll see what I mean if you, if you just turn to Exodus 33. And <clears throat> we'll do a little bit from verse 1 and then we'll take a jump. Uh, if you find that in your device. or Does anybody actually bring a paper Bible to church? Can you just wave them in the air? Just because... Two, three, four, five... I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm, it's not a guilt trip thing. I don't either. Mine's, mine's on here. It's, a, it's just like six people. Isn't that strange? The technology changes. The only weird thing is when you're preaching, you see people with their phones out. You're like, are they reading their Bible? Are they, are they, are they texting? You know, are they on Instagram? Are they playing, you know, Tetris? And you don't know. It's te Tetris is old, isn't it? It's very ancient. See, that's how out of touch I really am. <laughs> what would they be playing, Simon, if it was... All right, you're nearly as out of date as me. That makes me feel better. <laughs> did we find Exodus 33? Whatever way you're trying to get there, did we find it? Okay, here we go. I'm going to read it from the ESV, verse 1. <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here. You and the people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. You're like, oh, great, thanks, God. And if you jump down to verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you haven't let me know whom you'll send with me. Yet you have said, 
I know you by name and you have found favor in my sight. He's working up to a point here. He's like, he's getting it out there with God. He's not, he's not messing about with his words. So he says, and, and he says, now therefore, I have, if, I, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. He's uh, kind of buttering God up a bit before he gets to the real thing here. And he says to him, consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence with, will go with you and I'll give you rest. And he said to him, this is the clincher, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? <laughs> is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people? And that what makes us distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. Now, Moses is kind of getting stroppy. He's saying, all right, you're telling us to do this, but uh, if you're not going to be with us, I'm not going to do it. He's, getting, he's digging his heels in here with, with God. And it helps to just remember the context of it because there's a huge amount at stake here. This isn't just a single guy having a chat with the father about his future and, and all that's at stake is what happens to him as an individual. This, this man is probably 80 years old, maybe a bit more. He had a crack when he was 40 at leading his people and at that point was rejected and he ran away. And spent 40 years at the backside of the desert as a shepherd. And then God intervenes in his life and says, you're going to lead these people out of slavery. And actually, you're the person that's going to bring to fruition the promise that I made 400 years ago. You're going to make this true. And you're going to lead probably upwards of a million people out of slavery into the promised land, the land that I promised to my servant Abraham, a land flowing with milk and honey, you're going to do this. So here he is, he's like, I've got 400 years of weight of promise that is about to be fulfilled. Like I'm on the tiptoes of it, I'm on the, I'm on the cliff edge of this. It's just, and actually I can step into it because God's saying go do it and I'll send you an angel and I'll fight for you. So it's not like go do it without any help. But it's at this edge of, oh, we can step into the promise of God that's been hanging there for 400 years. He's also got, they're already out of Egypt. They've already crossed the Red Sea through incredible miracles. They're, they're very much delivered. There's probably a million people or more with children. They're all in the, in the wilderness. And he's got them all there. God's saying, go there. And he's saying, I can't. This is going to affect a million people. His decision is affecting a million people that are all stood behind him going, what are we going to do now, Moses? I don't know. What do you want to do? And part of the problem they're in is because the people are, are wayward and a bit rebellious and they like worshipping golden images and all the rest of it, which is why God's saying, I don't fancy doing the old journey with you, I'll just send an angel. 
So here's Moses. So you've got this tipping point of history that he's aware of. You've got a million people who need to go somewhere, who need to be fed, they need, you know, that whole thing going on. He's responsible for it. He led them out. And they're all looking to him. And then you've got his own personal sense of, of calling and destiny where, where he, was, he was there and he was going for it probably in his own strength at the age of 40 and he gets into a fight and, and his people reject him and then he runs away and then now 80 years old. So this is no spring chicken. You know, he doesn't have many more go-arounds left inside of him. It's like if he doesn't do it now, it isn't going to happen. Some of the grey tops are smiling at me more than the others this morning. It's like, what? So he's got the pressure of his own body clock ticking away on the inside. The tension of that with the call of, on his life to be this incredible leader. The tension of a million people who want to go somewhere and need to be fed and know what's going on. And the tension of knowing that this is actually the promise of God now about to be fulfilled 400 years on. Well, that's a lot of pressure on one guy. The pressure just to say, yeah, whatever you say, God, because we've got to get this thing done, is immense. And yet he says, if you're not coming, I'm not going. He had, a, he had a bottom line, he had a red line, he had a, he had a point of no compromise, no negotiation. You know, maybe for some of us an angel would sound pretty cool. Yeah, I'll go with an angel. No, he's like, don't, don't give me the, that angel stuff. If you're not going with me, first of all with me and then with us, I'm not doing it. No deal. I have the opportunity to step into my destiny, to lead these people into their destiny, but if you don't do it with me, I'm not going to do that. And maybe to the million people, it may not have looked that different, for, at least for a while. They'd be making progress, there'd probably be fire, fire by night and cloud by day and all that kind of thing, but Moses knew that for him, he needed to be in the presence of God. And as you read the account, pretty much daily he was in the tent of meeting where he met, the Bible says, face to face with God. And Joshua would stand outside the tent and Moses would come out and his face would be glowing and he'd cover it as, because the glory would slowly fade as the day went on. Moses wasn't willing to go without that in his life. There's a lot hanging on this moment and he's not willing to bend because he knows that's the main thing. And he knows it's not just the main thing for him, but how will we not just be seen as the Rotary Club if we don't have the manifest presence with us? I'm nothing against Rotary Club or Lions, or, but how will we not be the golf club? How will we not just be a group? How will we not just be another nation like all the other nations if we don't have you and he's not just saying you in the general sense of God's everywhere you as in the sense of we can tangibly know it's you I can tangibly know it's you I, I can get to see you face to face and Hebrews 11 looks back on the life of the heroes of faith faith says about Moses that that he endured as seeing him 
who was invisible. Wow. Kind of stood his ground with the Almighty and said, I, 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 need, I need to see you every day. We need to know that your tangible presence is leading us. We're grateful for the angels, but, you know, we need you. I can think of times in, in my, own, my own story as a leader, and these things happen for leaders kind of in the secret place. You know, it's not a big public meeting and there's a big booming voice and everybody gets to see what goes on. Somewhere in the secret place, Moses is having a conversation away from the crowd. And I can think of maybe three or four times where the option has been presented to take a direction that didn't mean that the presence of God was the central thing in my life or the way that we did church or ministry. It was never, I mean, this is, you know, I'm talking about Christian church here, so it's always the presence of God is spoken about, it's there as an issue, but what I've found, there are key moments where, where movements and churches and people have a choice as to whether they make this thing the main thing or just one of the things. And you can get success with it not being the main thing. So Moses could have had success. He could have taken them into the promised land. He could have seen the breakthrough. He could have done all the things he knew he was called to do without that being the main thing. But for him, success was not doing the thing. Success was the presence. Do you see? Success was doing it, but doing it a certain way, doing it with him, doing it with him at the center. And you see that drive in a lot of our heroes in the Bible. You see the drive for the centrality of the presence of God in the heart of David because he, he takes the box. <clears throat> he takes the Ark of the Covenant from a, from a hill and takes it out of out of the, the, the tabernacle of Moses because he wants that box which not just represents the presence but is the location of the presence in that era and he wants it in the center of his kingdom not in the periphery of his kingdom and he goes through quite a painful process to get this box right in the middle of his kingdom. And if you read carefully the scripture once he's done that the next verse says and then David had peace from all his enemies. David had an absolute passion, an absolute singular desire. I'd be bred probably in those worship times on the side of a mountain while he was looking after sheep with his playing his lyre or whatever it was. An absolute passion to be in the presence of God and for the presence of God to be core, to be priority above all other things in the kingdom that he ended up leading. And, and he went to great pains, and, and it was costly. They, they lost a life in the process, and, and, and that, that's probably for another day, that message. But it's interesting, in the process of getting that box to the center of the kingdom in Jerusalem, it, it nearly fell off the cart, and the guy that steadied it died. So they're like, oh, we can't do this. So they put it in the house of Obed-Edom, but then word comes out a few months later that everything in Obed-Edom's life is getting blessed because the presence of God is in the boxes in the house. And David goes, we've got to have that in Jerusalem. 
and, and they do a better job of figuring out how to get the cart to the center, sorry, how to get the box to the center of Jerusalem, God's way, not just any old way. And then, as I said, it, it says that there was, he had peace. It's a phenomenal thing. Center of God's presence gets centralized, is centered in the kingdom that he was leading. Peace breaks out on his borders. <laughs> so here you have Moses, and he's like, I don't care about success. I care about presence. If you're not going and I don't know it, then I don't want to do it. I, I just, just wonder where you're at with that. You know, the path of success can be offered, but is the presence of God the non-negotiable in my life or is the success the thing I'm really going to go after? So it may be that you're facing your day, you're going into school, you're going into the office, you're, you're at uni, whatever it is. The, the heart cry here is, now this is not an excuse for not going to work, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Can't sit there and go, if his presence not with me, I'm not going in. All right. This could be misunderstood. I might just make that clear. I'm taking a lot of time off because I don't think the presence of God is there. That's not what this is about. The point is, are you going in to succeed, to get a promotion, to do even do your job well, or are you going in with the goal of making the presence of God central in your life, in that environment? Isn't it great? Praying over the samples. I love that. It, it often, making the presence of God central often does cost something. It costs putting your life priorities aside for that to be your life priority. You see, that's what Moses is doing. He's not putting his fulfillment of his calling. He's not putting leading the people well. He's not putting fulfilling the 400-year promise first. He's putting the presence of God as his main thing. And the risk is he could lose it all. He's taking a risk. If God says, I'm still not going, then the story is very, very different. I, I want to be like that. And my, my experience over the years in Christianity is there's a sort of cultural resistance to the centrality of the presence of God. I'll explain a bit more. So we all agree on it. We all believe in it, but when it actually shows up, that's when the problems begin. Because Moses isn't saying, just be with me in some intangible, non-experiential, ineffective way. He's saying, I want you to be with me so I encounter you every day and that the glory shines from my face. Yeah? He said, I can't do this without, without that. I can't, I can't countenance that. And I need, I need the miraculous provision that goes along with that 
in order to get this thing done. He's, he's narrowed his options down to only one. He's not relying on his own strength. He's not relying on his own resourcefulness. He's not relying on angels. He's relying on God, the presence. But not God in a theoretical way, the presence in an actual way. And, and maybe he's sitting there and you think, well, yeah, but you know, God's with us all the time. We've talked a lot here about our union with Christ. Absolutely true. So he actually is with you always. That's what Jesus said. So what is it, what is it we're trying to tease out here? That is, is this a different thing to that? Because you don't always feel the presence of God, do you? It doesn't always feel amazing as you go into work. But actually he's still there. Is that, is that not true? It's not, it's not fun, first and foremost, it's not a feelings-based reality. But something we've been yearning for and going after is what we talk about is the manifest presence of God. And I thought, I'm going to talk about this in a slightly different way. I'm going to use some different Bible verses that will be familiar, hopefully, so that we can just maybe up our game in terms of our priority for the presence. Not in church, but also in, in life. All right, is that okay? Thank you for one of you. <clears throat> I think for you guys, you probably wouldn't be here if this wasn't an absolute priority for you. I think life and challenges can kind of muddle our thinking and foggy our way a little bit. And it's really helpful sometimes just to pull this right up to the center and go, this is what we're really here for. This is success for us. This is, this, this is what we'll give everything for. And uh, <clears throat> just to give you a few verses just to fill this in. So in John 14, which we refer to a lot actually because it's in that chapter where Jesus says that mind-boggling thing about how he would be in us and we would be in him and we're all in the Father. And when you figured out that, that all out, please tell me because I haven't. But you know, to be in him and him in us and then we're all in the Father, is, it's union. It's, it's an indissoluble intimacy. It's incredibly says that in the middle of John 14. But then later he says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, verse 23. And my Father will love him and we'll come and make our home with him. So this is, this is actualizing the reality that he's there. And when we started on this journey, one of the things we talked about was allowing God to change the furniture. So that, because he says he wants to make his home. He doesn't just want to be connected, he wants to feel at home. He wants to be manifestly at ease in our presence and that we're at ease in his. But him being God, he'd like the furniture his way, not our way. And by furniture, it can be all kinds of things. It could be the way we think. It can be the way we feel about Christianity. It could be some of the teachings we believe. It could be the way we put out the chairs. I mean, he's in charge. It could be the way we do worship. We've changed the way we did worship. Because, why did we do it? Because we wanted it to be him to know he had permission to change the furniture. Because the most important thing for us as a community is that he felt at home. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 is not the shortest 
verse in the Bible, but it's close. Simply says, don't quench the spirit. It's a sentence, full stop. It then says to value prophecy, which of course is really important as well, but don't quench the spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, don't grieve the spirit. This is about furniture. This is about how we function. This is about attitude. This is about, this is about appetite. This is about allowing God to create the wineskin that he likes to fill, both personally and corporately. So it's possible to have the presence, to have the Holy Spirit, to know about the Holy Spirit, to be able to pass an exam on the Holy Spirit, to know all the verses of the Holy Spirit, but to have him quenched in my life. It's possible to have all of that and to grieve the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? It means that the fire dims of the presence, the fire dims of the Holy Spirit. So Paul writes to Timothy and says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift that's in you through the laying on of my hands. Because Paul knows that actually sometimes the fire can dim a little bit and we actually have an ability to do something about that. Sometimes we're praying for heaven to come down and God's saying, I've put heaven in your heart, stir it up. Not because it's not there, but because he, he is there. Does that make sense? Don't, don't, don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Stir it up because He's there. And, and, and another place which is familiar to us, one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 5, 18. <clears throat> Do not get drunk on wine. Now, Probably for several centuries, that was probably the main emphasis of the church. And I would agree and urge you not to get drunk on wine because it de becomes debauchery. But this is a slightly longer sentence than the other one. And it goes on to say, but be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> oh, stir it up, fan the flame. Don't be filled with that intoxicating spirit, be filled with this intoxicating spirit. And, and it sounds like we, we, have a, we, we have a role to play in this because it is, it is actually, it's actually a command It's a command, do not be, so we get the first bit probably easier than the second, don't, don't be drunk on wine, it doesn't mean don't drink it, it just means don't be overwhelmed and controlled by that process. But, instead of that, drink this. And allow yourself to be overwhelmed and controlled by Holy Spirit. So it, it's a command, which means it's possible to do any time without a sovereign move of God. Oh God, will you move? Well, yes, we want him to move, we want him to do stuff, but actually the, the accessibility of the Holy Spirit inside of us is there all the time for us. 
Is, is this making sense? Right, so yes, we want more of God, but actually a lot of what we need is more of God that we have in us released to us and through us. I am absolutely not against sovereign moves of God. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But let's, let's be good with and work with what he has already sovereignly done, which is give you all of himself by the Holy Spirit. And allow ourselves to be intoxicated by that. And, and because it says stir it up, it's not just a passive thing. It's not like, oh, move me, Holy Spirit. There's, there's an activity that we join in on for this to get stirred up. Oh, like, well, he didn't move me today. Well, did you try moving him? You can see in Moses' interaction with God, Moses was not passive in his interaction with God. If I don't have this, I'm not doing it. So there you are, you're driving into work, you're feeling a bit empty, you're feeling a bit sad, you're feeling like maybe God feels like he's a million miles away, but you know he's actually in you, but nothing's happening. Stir it up. Not because you're desperate, but because you're a son or a daughter who has the presence. Fan it into flame. Try now. You're in church. It's legal here. Well, there's other people here. Yeah, but this is the best place to practice stirring it up. Well, do I have to look drunk? No, that's not the point. The point is to be overwhelmed and overcome and in love with and intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about how it looks. How it looks becomes a trap. But it doesn't look like that for me. Great! But as long as something is happening with you and the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. Right now. He's all over the room. He's inside you. Stir him up. Say, well, nothing's happening for me today. Well, give him a bit of a kick. Say, God, I can't do this without you. And I need to feel you today. I need a presence encounter today. Well, I'm just having a snooze. Well, we know he doesn't have a snooze. I have a snooze. Um, so it's possible to hinder, to resist, to grieve, to draw back from, or actively engage, stir up, seek, be overwhelmed, on fire, or drunkenly filled. Those are our options. And sometimes the externals put us off going after the internal, and that's a mistake. Because our culture has trained us that that's weird. And we should remove that from our vocabulary as much as possible. What's wholesome is being filled with, on fire with the Holy Spirit. Being hungry for the presence of God. Enjoying the presence of God. His presence being our priority. <clears throat> this making sense? Moses just put it all on the line for this thing. There were no other options in his life. So, what, what do we mean <coughs> by this? 
Well, I guess the first thing for me is, you know in the Psalms it says, taste and see that God is good. I love the manifest presence of God in our atmosphere that just consumes and overtakes every other atmosphere in the room where you just can taste him. Do you know what I'm talking about? It can look like many things. But you know when he's manifest in church, don't you? You know when it's really starting to kick off in worship. You can sense it. Now you get when that starts to move, and it may be moving through a person next to you and nothing happening with you, or go with them. Don't be jealous. Be hungry. Don't be resentful. Be happy and get in the flow. It's like, well, they're doing that thing again. Well, Immediately you've stepped back from something God may be doing. Why don't you step into it? It could look completely different for you, but like, I'm hungry, I'll have some of that. Looks like you got what I need today. Help me stir up what I need. Oh, yeah, but that looks weird. Well, let's remove weird. That sense of, there's been times in the presence where Danny Silt was here once. He said, it's hard to stay in your own skin in this environment. We want more of that, don't we? Feel, I've actually felt, it feels like you're being sucked out of your own body by the Holy Spirit in worship in Hope Church. More of that. Let's go after more of that. And, and the, the, we talk about manifestation, but actually the biblical word manifestation of the Spirit comes from and is used in terms of gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we want to move from not just feeling the presence, which is delightful. That's, that's that face-to-face word because we know that in the Old Testament there's no word for presence. It literally means face-to-face, which is what Moses then had. He had a face-to-face relationship with God. So when we say we want your presence, what we're saying is, God, I want that intimate face-to-face encounter with you in my life. Every day. And then the second thing is manifestations of the Spirit is that flows out into something that looks like something. And, and the list is fairly long, but Paul says to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So he talks about wisdom, he talks about knowledge or words of knowledge, he talks about gifts of faith, it talks about gifts of healing, it talks about gifts of miracles, it talks about gifts of prophecy, it talks about the ability to distinguish between spirits, and it talks about various kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Those are manifestations of the Spirit when the Spirit is moving in you, He wants to move through you with one or any of those, Yeah? So that means that you get filled with the Spirit in worship and you prophesy over three people in the coffee queue. That's the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That means that, and obviously this is the context of a church meeting. So what you find in Paul, he describes gifts of the Spirit operating in a church meeting. Jesus demonstrates gifts of the Spirit operating in the marketplace. So here is the best place to try. Out there is where we need to take it. 
Does that make sense? Hence a healing center, hence heavenly health care, hence you being in your job tomorrow is you being there with the potential to release heaven to earth through a manifestation of the Spirit. Now, you don't have to have a microphone and go up to your friend and say, thus says the Lord, I have a word of knowledge for you. It can be, word of knowledge can function incredibly conversationally. Word of wisdom often is conversational. You could suddenly get a solution to a really difficult situation at work or a, a relational problem and you just go, Holy Spirit, you're here. I, I'm, I'm a carrier of your presence. You're indwelling me. Manifest yourself through me today. This needs fixed. Nobody knows how to fix it. Show me what to do. And again, you don't need a mic. You don't need a preamble from 1 Corinthians 12. You just go... I'm feeling that this could be a good way through. That's taking the presence in the marketplace. It could be a gift of faith, a gift of faith in the job. And it's interesting talking with Jan Mack over the years. They often have no money in their business, so she kind of lays hands on her computer and calls the money in. That's the gift of faith operating in her business. So yes, we want them here, we want words of knowledge in the room, we want healings in the room, we want healings in stuff that we do, but suddenly it could just sort of pop out of you and you just touch someone in the supermarket queue and their hearing improves. Why? Because you're manifesting the presence of God. Or it can happen in gyms. We had loads of stories like this at the, at the healing, healing school that we did, which is incredibly inspiring. Amazing. Just, and we do these things because we need the inspiration and the stimulation to keep our fire alive. Yeah? So don't treat conferences and speakers as, oh, it's that again. Treat it as an opportunity to get the fire stirred up inside of you. Amen? Treat it as a chance to like, well, oh, I'm feeling a bit discouraged. I'm feeling a bit hopeless. I'm feeling a bit, a bit pants. I'm feeling a bit crap. Well, how do you get changed? Well, don't discount the things that can dynamite you out of your pantsness. <laughs> I did say I only had one P. <laughs> Success is the presence. Success is the presence of God. Success tomorrow for you is walking in the presence of God and manifesting it to somebody else could be in a very normal looking way. It's important to you, like it was important to Moses. <clears throat> and, and thirdly, what are we talking about? We want the presence of God because of the, the corporate effects. So I, I've mentioned one already, which was David brought the presence, which was physically located in a box in that day, to the center of his kingdom and there was peace in the board, in, on his borders. He had many enemies. The Philistines were always raiding but suddenly it seems to be this peace comes to his kingdom because the presence is central to the kingdom. That's a corporate experience of the presence being central. And some of us struggle with this because, because often we are so cerebral, we're so trained in our minds, and the presence is a bit ethereal. But actually, the pres without the presence, the earth would not exist. The presence is reality. This is not permanent. Do, do, do you see? So, 
schooling ourselves to value and learn what the presence looks and feels like is really important because that's the eternal reality we, will, we came from and we will always live in. What the earth looks like will be, will be changed because this, this material universe looking like this is actually temporary. We're just told it's permanent. That doesn't mean it's true. So we do need to help our minds and our emotions connect to this beautiful, wonderful, powerful thing called the presence of God. We want the corporate effects. We want, I love the story where the Philistines steal the ark. They steal the box that, where the presence of God lives. And they decide, well, this is another God amongst many gods. So they, they put the box next to their god Dagon in their temple and the next day they come in and, 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 the, and the, the statue's fallen on its face. And so they treat that as a little bit of a, of a kind of an accident or a coincidence. So they stand the statue back up and they go out and they come back the next day and the, the thing has fallen on its face and its head and its hands have been chopped off. So they decide it might be good to get rid of the box. When God's presence is here, demons flee. The negative activity of hell is shut down, not because necessarily we rebuked it, although there's a place for that, but because the presence of God is so manifest, it can't function, and it is humbled before the Jesus we were talking about and singing about earlier. The name of Jesus becomes a reality in the presence of Jesus manifests. We've seen this happen a little bit here and we want it again. And You see it in Acts 2 that the presence of God hosted by the people of God creates a city mood change. Say that again. The presence of God hosted by the people of God creates a city mood change. How many people were in the upper room in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost? How many? 120, 120, 120 in a city, certainly of multiple thousands. Now in that city, probably something like 45 to 50 days earlier, the mob and the crowd had been stirred up to shout, crucify him, crucify him. And such was the the, the, the fear of that mob that the p- politicians basically said, all right, we'll let it happen, although we have no thing that we can prove that he's done legally wrong. But the mob, the mood of the mob was crucify Jesus. Yeah? The presence of God shows up powerfully and manifestly on 120 people, and suddenly a whole chunk of that mob are going, what must I do to be saved? They get drawn to the sound. They get drawn to the manifestation. Some think it's craziness. Some, some are drawn in. There's some preaching and suddenly a whole bunch of those people that were saying crucify him come to him. There's a mood change. As more and more churches host the presence of God in tangible and powerful ways, the mood of the city is going to change. Because the presence of God displaces 
wickedness displaces darkness, displaces unbelief, displaces cynicism. The, just the presence of God makes the head and the arms fall off any enemy activity that is going on. We love the presence, don't we? So, so do you want to stand and we'll... So I, I just want to challenge you this, this morning to, to be... Let's have a room full of Moseses. I don't mean 80-year-olds who have a staff. I mean the heart of Moses. That This is my focus. This is my non-negotiable spot. This is who I am. And, and tomorrow morning, I, I want to be that again. I want to take that where I am. And, and, and when we gather for worship, I'm going to stir. If it's not stirring me, I'm going to stir him. So that if you want to respond and lift your hands or put your hand on your heart in some physical way, then, then please do. I just find that helps me feel like I'm engaging with this. I'm just going to pray and I'll ask you to, to do something and we're done. So Father, we, we know we love your presence, but we want to actively engage with it. We want to prioritize you. We want to not get caught up with other ideas of what success looks like. We want to go after you because that is the best success we can ever have. Father, we love your presence. Stir us up and help us stir you up. Amen.